Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Wednesday night, 7.30, the Staples Show is back in your life. And there's a little bit of a uh, YouTube uh, contest going on uh, in anticipation for the show, whether or not I'd be wearing a hat today. And uh, I don't know if it's good or bad, but no hat. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm dressing up for the occasion, if you will. We have Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, um, draft analyst, uh, young player NFL analyst uh, for CBS Sports. What is up, my friend? How are you? I'm doing great, guys. And like I was just telling Ryan before we started airing that this is the time of the year where I'm normally watching like prospect number 200. And a lot of the guys I watch, I I realize are like fifth and sixth rounders, kind of boring. But the last two weeks in the NFL have just been really fun to be watching film, but then also sign on to Twitter and see a huge trade or a big signing like Von Miller joining the Bills uh, over the past two weeks. So it's made it a lot more fun. I love my job. I love watching college film talking about the draft, but to have all the free agent and trade stuff going on and then to be able to come on the shout podcast and talk about it, it's really awesome. Ryan Talbot, uh, my my tag team partner. If you're just tuning in, this is the Shout Buffalo, the Buffalo football podcast, uh, usually brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. All right, so big trade. Tyreek Hill leaves the Kansas City Chiefs after uh, quite a run. Uh, Super Bowl championship, uh, one of the most feared offenses in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. He is traded for a boatload of picks to the Miami Dolphins. So couple things here. This impacts not only the AFC East, but I think it also impacts the AFC title picture as well. And then also it has a Bills effect from the perspective of the draft, which I want to kind of get into a little bit with you here tonight, Chris, let's start off with around the horde. We'll start with Chris. We'll go to Ryan. What were your impressions of this trade? Just overarching as another big, massive NFL move. Okay. My knee jerk reaction was Tyree kill to me seemed like an untradeable player. And I understand a lot of the cap gurus were coming out and saying, this is proof that the cap really does exist. It, it it does to me, but to me, Tyreek Hill is a player, and I think Devontae Adams, too, 
is a player that you try to trim the fat on your roster from other players, restructure deals, even fully outright release players before you're trading Tyree Kill. After the dust settled a little bit, I realized they were just selling at the highest price possible that probably Tyree Kill, he's 28, would be turning 30 going into his next season. Maybe they just figured, hey, if we can really get five picks for him, a first rounder, a second rounder, a fourth rounder, a couple day three picks next year, I think the Chiefs just realized instead of paying him upwards of maybe $30 million per season, um, but I do think we should probably not use APY as the best way to evaluate uh, contracts anymore, and we can still get five picks for him, now would be the time to do it. Yes, it has huge seismic impacts on the AFC, the, the playoff picture. I mean, the Chiefs have hosted the last – for AFC title games. So it definitely has a huge impact on really the, the entire Super Bowl picture because he was really the yards after the catch monster that I think really accentuated a lot of the strengths for Patrick Mahomes. So I, I, I wouldn't have done it if I were the Chiefs, but I understand to get the picks and then to free up some money in the future. Now it's on their GM, Brett Veach, where if you look around Twitter, check some Chiefs fans, they're not the most happy even before this trade of what the moves that Brett Veach has made. A lot of pressure is on him. He's got the ammunition, and this will either turn out to be a a brilliant move for the Chiefs if they get a lot of diverse talents or an all-time blunder for a team that looked like on the cusp of being a a, dynasty-caliber team trading away its superstar uh, when he's still in his prime. Yeah, that's well said. Listen, uh, I'm completely with you. I don't think that Tyree Kill is a guy that you trade. I, I don't, you know, the age factor, I get that. But now look at what's left in Kansas City. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you're in the conversation. Do not get me wrong. But you have a uh, tight end in Travis Kelsey that's going to be 33 this year in October. You have, you got rid of your best playmaker, your yard after catch guy. You're, you're left with Juju Smith Schuster now as your number one wide receiver. Someone that in his career has played better when he's been able to feed off of someone else or there's been attention given to someone else. So I have a lot of questions about the the trade in general in terms of what this means for that offense. Now, uh, could you find some speed? Could you find little factors uh, or little attributes of what he brought to this offense? Yes, but you're not going to replicate everything that he can do. It doesn't matter if you're going to the draft, uh, if you're bringing in a few free agents, it, it just can't be done. So when we've been seeing this whole offseason, the AFC West just going after one another in terms of free agent additions, big, big name players joining each team. And it was like, well, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. They're probably going to be right up there, but all those other teams are going to be fighting with them. I'm not so sure that the Chiefs are even the the favorite in their division anymore after this trade, as good as Patrick Mahomes is. Uh, For the Dolphins, it puts them in the playoff conversation. It uh, makes me wonder what, you know, what's going on in the NFC that none of these teams are biting on these big name players when they become available. It seems like everything's in the AFC this year. But I still have questions too about how this is going to work with. Tua as his quarterback. There's no doubt that there's a lot of weapons in Miami now, but do you have the quarterback that can make that work? I definitely agree with the prevailing sentiment that this weakens Kansas City, not only in their division, but in terms of their place in the AFC. I mean, this is the guy, if you go back to the last two playoff games, Kyrie Hill has been in this unstoppable force for this Bills secondary. And I think the defense you know, is better now with Von Miller, uh, depending on what they do at cornerback. I still think they'll probably be a better defense as a whole. I think they were more prepared to maybe uh, with an elite pass rusher 
uh, adjust in those games. I mean, you saw Cincinnati. I don't, I don't think their secondary uh, is, is among the elite in the NFL and the way that they kind of neutralized that Kansas City offense in the second half of the AFC title game, I think is going to leave breadcrumbs for a lot of people. There's that part of it that I think if you're a Bills fan, you're looking at that and you're excited about the fact that maybe KC won't be this behemoth that it's looming over, you know, for the best example I can use about how this dynamic has worked with the Chiefs and Bills the last couple of years is go back to prime Michael Jordan era when uh, they were beating the Utah Jazz year after year and John Stockton and Carl Malone were always the bridesmaid and never the bride and they were, were losing the title game every year. It felt like that so far in this story for the Bills and the Chiefs. And I feel like this kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. And now the Bills were already a Super Bowl favorite. I think they're going to be even more so here. To Chris's point, I understand all the reasons why the Chiefs would want to make this move. For me, I think it's quite a... I don't want to say gamble, but it's definitely something that, you know, for the Miami Dolphins, you're bringing on a lot of money at the wide receiver position with super huge question marks at the quarterback position. You studying him, uh, Chris, at Alabama, you've seen Tua and what he's done in the NFL. How confident are you that now with the um, nucleus of young players that they have, Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, Mike Gusecki, the running backs that they brought in, Chase Edmonds and uh, Raheem Mostert, that they have the right pieces to maybe get Tua to a place where he can be an above-average quarterback. Well, in terms of what the Dolphins have done, I don't fault them whatsoever. I mean, to, to go for it, so to speak, uh, they had the extra draft capital. It was almost like the past regime that was you know tanking for Tua for multiple seasons. They set up this regime now to have a bunch of extra picks, to be able to make such a trade like this and move five draft picks and still have two first rounders next year because of all the moves that they've made. I don't blame them for doing that. And I think, you know, they're probably following the Bills model of trading for Stefan Diggs and just what we've seen around the league to not only just add a superstar, but to go two and three and maybe even four wide receivers deep to not just have those you know, secondary and tertiary guys just be bottom of the roster players. It's now a three wide receiver league. Tua was my like number three or number four overall player in that 2020 draft class. But I had some reservations about him with his arm strength and his athleticism. And honestly, based on my ranking, he has kind of disappointed in his first, you know, season and a half as a starter. And those two kind of red flags that I had, you can check scouting reports that I wrote about him have really come to fruition in the NFL that there's just times where outside of structure where Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, the other two quarterbacks we're talking about certainly flourish that's where Tua really is behind almost all of these young quarterbacks in today's NFL, especially the good ones now that are all congregating in the AFC, uh, and the arm strength isn't there. Now, with Mike McDaniel bringing over that Kyle Shanahan-based offense, a lot of play action, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of short throws, maximizing yards after the catch, that's really the goal of Kyle Shanahan-style offenses. Uh, I think Tua will be in a similar situation to what he had at Alabama. The one concern that I have, even if we do see another step from Tua, what happens in the playoffs when you're facing a better secondary, when you're facing a better pass rush, that's when your quarterback has to elevate. He can't be the one that's elevated by his team. Saw Josh Allen put the bills on his back, you know, in that divisional round game. Um, Once they got down to the Chiefs, he's been sensational in his first, you know, four or five playoff games to start his career. You can't just scheme it up once you get to the postseason. Even if the Dolphins do win 9, 10, 11 games and make it to the playoffs, there will come time 
where Tua has to be the guy that's pulling this team. And because of the arm strength and the athleticism deficiencies, I don't know if he's that quarterback. The accuracy is there. I think he'll know where to go with the football. And we'll see what happens with the new head coach. But it is a line for him to take a step. I just don't know if he has those physical traits that a lot of these young top-tier quarterbacks have. Yeah, no, that's well said. Listen, this, this, it, there's no excuses for Tua going into the season. No. If he does not perform this year, it, it makes you wonder. I, I get he's on a rookie deal. With two first-round picks next year, w- would the Dolphins use those to package them together, move up and get someone? Because now you have all the weapons. Maybe you just don't have the quarterback. So maybe Miami is thinking long-term here. And it, you know, at first it didn't seem like it made a lot of sense with, with Tua as your quarterback. But if Tua underperforms this year, you know he's not the guy maybe. And you have the ammo to get your quarterback in next year's draft, which might work out for Miami considering this year's draft is not necessarily a strong QB class. So maybe this move pans out in, uh, for Miami this year or long-term, but th- there's definitely some risk involved. We're going to get more into this at, at the end of the show, but one of the uh, reasons I, I brought Chris on here today is to kind of put our first initial, as we kind of get into that last sprint of the marathon toward the draft. I mean, it kind of starts, you know, late in the, in the NFL season for a lot of teams, not so much for Bills fans the last couple of years, but, you know, with that uh, chance to add uh, talent at, at pick number 25, I want to kind of start to crystallize the the view here of what 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 are some of the options that, you know, the bills can do. And so Chris, you put out your latest mock draft uh, this week. It's updated. Actually, folks can go check it out at, at the website, uh, cbssports.com. Remind me you do one per week about on average yeah. here. Yeah. One wow. per week. So if I don't have like the whole first round memorized for this show, don't, don't hate me for that because <laughs> it's constantly changing. But I will say as we get closer, we're like five weeks away from the draft. I do put more time into them. I do. I, cry after the draft if I only get four or five picks right no and I think there's more important things that I do for CBS sports like the evaluations uh but yeah it's hard to keep track of where I have specific prospects slotted because I have done one every single week since the start of the football season that's amazing and the thing here is I think sometimes it's important for fans to kind of get a better understanding of like the purpose of mock drafts, which I think should really be the exercise of seeing what kind of options there can be for teams yes. as the picks are flying off the board so that you can kind of go through those exercises before you get to the draft so that you, you see, you get to a pick in the draft and you can be like, okay, I remember this situation, this scenario that I ran a mock draft this way, or I saw a mock draft on that way. It's not necessarily an exact science. We don't have the information. You don't have the information of what's going on in draft rooms and amongst, you know, executives in the league. But it's an exercise to see what could kind of happen should this thing play out as it, as it does. And, you know, you look at this this week's mock draft and it's a, it's a big shift for you. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson goes at number one and in that two hole to the Detroit Lions after coming off of what's being called one of the you know greatest uh, workouts in, in recent memory here. Malik Willis, surprisingly, jumps into the number two spot. Is this something that you, A, would do if you were that team based on your evaluation of Malik Willis? And B, is this something where you think that there's real um, movement to get him into the top five here? Or, or even if it's not the Lions, but maybe a team maybe getting up into the top five to get Willis, who maybe now seems the consensus number one quarterback? Okay, so Malika Willis is not my number two overall player. And a little disclaimer, almost all of my mock drafts 
are just what I think will happen. I think they let me do one like what I would do. It's kind of all over the map uh, <laughs> as we get as we get closer uh, to the draft in late April. But if I was running the Lions, I would seriously consider Malik Willis at number two for a lot of reasons. For all the reasons that I just talked about that our weaknesses for Tua Tonga Bailoa that Malik Willis has as strengths. The arm talent is there. The athleticism is there. And just the situation he would be in. Have him sitting behind Jared Goff. I always tie it back to the Bills that Josh Allen said that he learned so much from Matt Barkley that he was a different style of quarterback than them. I mean, obviously a different situation with Jared Goff as the starter as compared to being the backup. But Malik Willis can learn a lot about throwing with anticipation, understanding coverages from Jared Goff, who's not that type of arm talent, athleticism-based quarterback. And I think if you hit the right quarterback, even if he is risky, Bills fans know that can totally change your franchise. And he can be the what I've been tweeting, the most important employee of the Buffalo Bills is Josh Allen. And that could be Malik Willis for the Detroit Lions, even if he doesn't start as a rookie. But it does seem to kind of align with, like you mentioned, all the hype that I think is a little bit silly uh, that came after Malik Willis's pro day because we knew he was going to have a big arm. We knew he was going to you know, throw the ball pretty accurately against air and a perfect script. That's usually the case. But don't be surprised if Malik Willis goes a lot higher than people expect. The Lions, Carolina at number six, it kind of struck out on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, some of the other veteran quarterbacks. Do I think like five or six quarterbacks are going to go in the first round? Probably not. Think Kenny Pickett will sneak in there, maybe Matt Corral, but Malik Willis going number two has some legs because just the situation uh, and that he checks a lot of the boxes of the Josh Allen's and the Justin Herberts and the Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, if you're a team like the Detroit Lions, yes, you can get a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you could get an anchor for one of your lines, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the quarterback position. And if you feel like Willis. Uh, can be that guy with a, a year of seasoning on the bench, then it's almost a no-brainer because uh, no matter how talented you your safeties are, your corners are, you're not going very far in the NFL without the quarterback. So if it's even anywhere near uh, close in terms of their evaluations, Willis has to be that guy. In Positional value, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in the mock, uh, Houston is up at three, and they go and get a pass rusher in your mock at uh, Trevon, Trevon Walker uh, from Georgia, who is skyrocketed up draft boards. Um, I don't think the Bills, even if one of these pass rushers uh, made their way to 25, should should probably even consider one at this point. I get it. Taking best player on the board is something that you know teams talk about Brandon Bean more so than anybody, but this is a draft where uh, I feel like defensive end is – pretty much taken care of for the next couple of years. They might want to yeah. uh, go a different direction. At number four, you have the Jets taking Ahmad uh, Sauce Gardner. And he's somebody that I wanted to bring up with you specifically. A, get your evaluation of what kind of player he would be and like throw a couple of scenarios at you here. Like I've now been saying for a couple of weeks, going back to the combine um, and, and picked up steam with the Von Miller signing that I think the Bills with eight draft picks now can get aggressive with how they approach this draft, knowing that, you know, do they need to address the offensive line in this draft? Of course they do. But I think they can go a similar route that they went last year, getting Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle in rounds three and five. They could probably get some interior players on day two and day three and and figure that out that way. Is there a scenario where you think the Bills can get up high enough to get Sauce Gardner? And is he somebody that would be a scheme fit? Is he somebody that, okay, Knowing what the Bills 
need to get better at in their secondary based on the Kansas City games and some of the other issues they've had at times in their secondary is Sauce Gardner, that guy that you draft him and you put him at CB2 and all of a sudden that pair with Tredavious White is can't miss exactly what you want. Yeah, those are all really good points, Matt. And I agree. I mean, we look back at Brandon Bean's history that that 2018 draft that was a seminal draft for the team that the Bills are today trades up for Josh Allen, trades up for Tremaine Edmonds, you know, the anchor on the defense in the back seven, so to speak, or I guess the front seven and then Josh Allen at quarterback. Uh, if Sauce Gardner gets to five, one, the first of the New York Giants picks, uh, obviously with the connection to Joe Shane, uh, that's where I think there will be a phone call made at least. Be- and it would be for Sauce Gardner. I know, like I, like you mentioned, I do have Sauce Gardner going a pick before to the Jets. If they pass on him, it wouldn't shock me if Brandon Bean does make a call because, yes, I think Sauce Gardner would be a great fit. Played more man at Cincinnati, and that's really how he became such a highly sought-after prospect. Uh, but the, it's not like the Bills play 90% of the time in zone. They sprinkle in some man. They like to have zone on one side, man on the other. And just being six foot three with like elite-level athleticism and what's very important, fluidity, being that tall. He's not stiff. He can deal with those quick separators. Uh, I think he could almost be that uh, in-his-prime Josh Norman type that certainly Brandon Bean knows well from his time in Carolina. And I always think back to like when this has kind of been uh, talked about over the last couple of days after Peter King mentioned that Joe Shane wants to move off of one of those two picks inside the top ten at five and seven, when Sean McDermott became the Bills' G, uh, head coach in 2017, he made a move with Andy Reid, his former mentor, uh, for the Chiefs to trade up to pick Patrick Mahomes. It wouldn't shock me if, if, if we see a similar dynamic with Brandon Bean and Joe Shane saying, hey, look, we need a corner. I don't know if Joe Shane would give Brandon Bean a little bit of a deal, uh, but you're right. With this year and probably even next year, eight picks this year, seven next year, can 15 rookies ultimately make this team over the next two seasons? Probably not. I mean, is Sauce Gardner, a low 4-3 guy? No, but I think he plays super fast because even if he is a step behind a really uh, speedy wide receiver, his length and his height can allow him to disrupt the football. Had a tremendous college career. He's a top 10 prospect for me. I'm usually not the biggest fan of trading up because I want GMs and teams to have as many roles at the, at the table as possible. But given this the situation that the Bills are in, Super Bowl favorites. They need a corner. He's an elite prospect. The connection is there with the assist, former assistant GM. I would actually be okay with the Bills moving all the way up from 25 to either five or seven if it's to pick Sauce Gardner. Yeah, Gardner's a great cornerback. There's no doubt about that. The Bills lost a few of their own draft picks last year uh, that they tried to stash in the practice squad. So like you said, uh, you're probably not going to get all those rookies on this team. Now, moving up, though, in, into the top five, top eight range, that would take a lot. Let, let, let's say we move down a little bit further, maybe that 10 to 16 range. There's a guy like Trent McDuffie who seems like he would be really good for the, the zone scheme that the Bills do yes. like to run. But then there's also Derek Stingley who seems to be falling a little bit down the draft boards. How would those two players, in your opinion, fit in this defense? Okay, I like Stingley a lot more just as a prospect. I think he mm-hmm. has a higher ceiling. Uh, he can play man. He can play zone. I think his ball skills are just more natural. Finds the football fantastically. Uh, his body control, he can contort, get his hands on the football, down the field. Uh, just very, very fluid player. I think he's super fast, too. We're not going to really see how fast he runs um, until later, if he actually even tests at the LSU Pro Day. I think the LSU Pro Day, too, is like the last one, like April 3rd or April 4th. 
Um, I, I would love Derek Stingley in this defense. In terms of just a straight scheme fit, Trent McDuffie is probably the more uh, easily to translate. Like he'll have a very uh, short learning curve because if you watch the Washington film, they're playing cover two or cover three on almost every single snap. Like he was not in the faces of a lot of uh, uh, wide receivers when he was. He was bailing off the line of scrimmage. Uh, pretty twitchy. We'll get his hands on the football. I don't know if his ceiling is as high. I think he's going to be a good pro. Um, but if they're both available, it, it wouldn't shock me again if Brandon Bean, like Matt mentioned, you know, gets aggressive, understanding that those these eight picks, he doesn't want to necessarily make these selections again and have a guy like Jack Anderson or Rashad Wild Goose ultimately gets snatched off the practice squad by a, another team. So take me into this Stingley um, dynamic here, because from my understanding, and I'm still kind of doing my due diligence here, but he had a really outstanding 2019, I, I believe Amazing. it was. And then it's been injuries, right? That has kind of kept him out of the, uh, off the field. A couple things interest me about him because number one, I feel like when you're covering a team that's really good, like the Bills, it's good to monitor guys that have high end tape that have the potential to slide in a draft. Like, you know, Tredavious White is actually a perfect example, a former Very. LSU corner that slid in the draft and the Bills took full advantage of this. What's the potential slide for Stingley if we don't if we take out the trade up, you know, into the top 15 out, off the table? Is there a, a world that we live in, a scenario that you see where Stingley falls into the 20s? I don't think that will happen, but I will say this. Crazier things have happened on DraftNet. I always think back to Derwin James, uh, who a lot of people had. I, I think I had him as my number two overall player uh, mm-hmm. in that 2018 draft class. He went all the way to 17, and it was like, how is he still available? C.D. Lamb falling to number 17 just a few years ago. There was Stingley, like you mentioned, the, the medicals can be a problem for a lot of teams. The only reason why I, I don't think it's likely – the Philadelphia Eagles have the 15th, 16th, and I believe 19th or 18th or 19th pick. They need a corner. If they pass on Derek Stingley three times, I think that will raise a pretty big red flag for a lot of teams. But what helps the Bills, I think, just to get the most out of players and to have more faith in maybe drafting someone like Derek Stingley that went healthy, probably a top 10 player in this class, is how good their medical staff is. And they have, you know, four or five years now of a great track record with their facilities, uh, not having a lot of soft tissue injuries, where they could say, hey, look, this guy, had he played in 2021, would have not gotten out of the top 10. Uh, If he gets past the Eagles, or maybe even if he gets to that third Eagle selection, I would be all for Brandon Bean making a call. Wouldn't have to be a huge trade-up from number 25 overall. Derek Stingley behind a really good pass rush like he had in 2019 at LSU can be like a legitimate ball hawk that has the athleticism to match up with like a high caliber athlete on the outside. Not that Tredavious White isn't, but if you look back at Tredavious White's combine, wasn't great. He's more of a technician, reads routes really well, reads the quarterback's eyes. To get someone in Stingley that's a little bigger and has a little bit more athletic upside, I think that would be the perfect complement on the other side of Tredavious White in Buffalo's defense. All right, let's transition to a couple things here before we get you out of here. Um, first off, so you have um, five wide receivers going off the board before the Bills pick. Uh, obviously, it starts with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave at 10 and 11. Not as high on Drake London as some are, and, and you, you can touch on that if you'd like. And then uh, Jahan Dotson goes at 22 to Green Bay and Traylon Burks 
uh, goes to the New Orleans Saints at pick 18. And then you have the Bills selecting Jamison Williams. So I have a couple questions here because I think Williams sure. is kind of that really fun idea for Bills fans with a lot of holes already filled. Um, and, and, you know, even potentially after the Tyreek Hill trade, I'd imagine Jamison Williams is directly on the radar of the Kansas City Chiefs. And maybe even in a scenario like this where he's on the board, you pick him, even if you weren't planning on it, to keep him away from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. So give me a little bit of detail on who Jamison Williams is, because he's to me been this guy going back to the combine that's been like, He's this version of like explosive playmaker. People mention Tyreek Hill, even if it's not a direct comp into how he wins or how he plays, but that kind of potential impact and how it differs from some of the other guys in this class where it feels like Garrett Wilson's like the top guy, but I don't hear people kind of talking about him the same way or the same, had the same hopes for him that maybe Jamison Williams even coming off of that uh, ACL. Okay, so comparing Jamison Williams for me to Garrett Wilson, kind of the two speedy separators, the big difference is just long speed. I think Garrett Wilson might be actually a little bit better than Jamison Williams in terms of just making defenders miss on a drag route, on a slant, on an inbreaker. In terms of just literally stretching the field, I guess not literally stretching the field, but figuratively stretching the field, Jamison Williams gives you more of that than Garrett Wilson. And I think for a lot of Bills fans, a lot of media members like ourselves, that is one ingredient to this Bills offense that would add a whole new layer, would help out underneath Jamison Crowder, Stephon Diggs, uh, even Dawson Knox, the screen game. So Jamison Williams, to me, is a kind of a Jerry Judy 2.0. I think Jerry Judy ran mm-hmm. sharper routes and had uh, more experience running a, a, a broader range of routes. Uh, but Williams is faster down the field, and I think he plays a little bit bigger than Jerry Judy. When you watched his film at Alabama, getting open a lot, maybe hitting some big plays here or there, was he making a lot of contested catches uh, with a cornerback draped on him? Not nearly as many as Jamison Williams. And before the injury, Williams was just graded a little bit higher than Garrett Wilson for me. And I think had he not gotten injured in that national title game, top 10 pick too. Like these are two players that we're talking about that – will fall on draft night because they're injured. But again, if the Bills feel good about their strength and conditioning program, their medical staff, either Derek Stingley and certainly Jamison Williams would be home run selections for them, even if they have to trade up a little bit or if either of those two fall to them at number 25 overall. Do you feel like the Bills, I guess you don't want to say do they have to because the Bills will never be a team that that feels like they have to do something based on uh, their roster, but based on the fact that they haven't been very active in the cornerback market, are they going to maybe place more of a value on addressing that issue day one, day two of this draft? I, I know that Brandon Bean's MO has always been best player available. Uh, there's still plenty of free agent cornerbacks out there, so I'm sure the Bills still have a, a, a move or two up their sleeve. Uh, but based on the arms race and the AFC in general, now seeing all the playmakers in Miami, uh, is, is there more of an emphasis to address that cornerback position, knowing that Trey White might not be 100% at the start of the year? You've lost Levi Wallace to Pittsburgh, uh, et cetera. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I think it speaks to a larger point about draft philosophy that I think GMs, and this certainly includes Brandon Bean, always talk about best player available. And someone like me, I'm evaluating the entire draft class. I just rank the players regardless of position. I have positional value baked into my grades, but it's just all the positions together. I think the Bills and almost every team, when they formulate their board, like Matt was alluding to earlier, 
they would probably push down defensive ends in this draft class, not because they're bad players, but maybe a Jermaine Johnson, a Boye Mafe, they're just going to say, hey, look, we like this guy, but let's actually dock him a little bit because we're, we don't really want to pick another edge rusher at 25 if all of our top corners or all of our top wide receivers are gone. So from that, I think more specifically, Brandon Bean and the Bills will have kind of a wide receiver corner and maybe interior offensive line heavy big board at the top. So if it falls to, hey, there's really no corner that we feel is worthy of a late first round pick, we like the value better in round two or round three. We we like how many players are left at that position. Then I think they could go wide receiver. I don't necessarily think that they're going to like prioritize corner well ahead of wide receiver. We know Brandon Bean from that is willing to go back-to-back defensive ends or pick two offensive linemen in the same draft or two uh, safeties or two cornerbacks. So I think he will stack his board based on the positional needs in general and then allow best player available to kind of take its course in the first round. Not a first-round draft prospect, but Tariq Woolen, what are your thoughts on him, former wide receiver, big cornerback, uh, and athleticism off the charts? Yeah, I think he's a project, uh, but another staple of the Brandon Bean era has been to draft these freaky athletes that are big, oversized, and hope that the coaching staff or trust in the coaching staff and just the entire environment at One Bills Drive uh, to get the best out of them. And and for most of those players, it's worked. We'll see what happens with Gregory Rousseau. Tariq Wollen, though, if he's like goes in the second round, I, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of the Bills doing that because I feel like like Matt was kind of alluding to how many of these rookies are going to come in, play right away, make the team. I don't think Wollen is ready to be that cornerback number two, but he's six foot three. He ran four two six at the combine, had like a forty two inch vertical. So athletically, in terms of running in a straight line and jumping straight in the air, he's as good as they come in this class. I think following wide receivers because like you mentioned Ryan he's a former wide receiver still learning the intricacies of playing the cornerback position it could take him some time to become a star if he ever becomes one third or fourth round that's where I feel more comfortable with him as opposed to the Bills second round Mm. pick but like you or but like I said earlier because the Bills like those bigger freaky athletes he's definitely a name to remember once we get to the second day of the draft Breeze Hall today in in or this week Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft you know first things first like I just cannot get on board with a running back in round one I can't get in on board with a running back in round one knowing that I think the Bills offense really you know revolves around the passing game and you know with all these receivers that could possibly be in play but I want to ask you specifically how you have Breeze Hall evaluated because I started looking at his profile. He actually comps in a lot of ways, including his testing stuff a little bit better than even Jonathan Taylor a couple of years ago. And now Jonathan Taylor, he was a like hall of fame college running back like that. What he did yeah. uh, in college, uh, you know, you were drafting him in large part for that production that he already had. I'm curious what you think of Hall and if he if there's any similarities in the way that he plays to a Jonathan Taylor, because that's somebody that while I wouldn't even consider running back in the second round, trading up in the second round to get a guy like that, that you think can have a Jonathan Taylor type impact on the game. That's something I'd be more willing to talk about, not round one, but maybe round two. Who is Brees Hall to you? He's not Jonathan Taylor. I'm there you go. kind of sorry to kind of <laughs> douse that kind of flame there, but I, I think he's someone that 
When he ran 4.39, I was shocked. He does not look that fast to me. Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin hit a lot of home runs. Like the blocking was really good. And, but he had a lot of 50, 60, 70 yard touchdowns and was like running away from every cornerback in the Big Ten. I didn't really see that from Brees Hall. He did have a bunch of like 20 plus yard runs at Iowa State. And he too, like Jonathan Taylor, that's kind of the comparison, was very productive over multiple seasons, was like a 1,200 plus yard back. Uh, there for the Cyclones. He's good catching the football out of the backfield. I think he gives you a complete, well-rounded game. The contact balance is good. Vision, catching the ball in the screen game. Round two, I I wouldn't be the biggest fan of the Bills trading up for one, but that is a good point to to bring up because the Bills could say, hey, let's try to just upgrade this one position on offense. But for a lot of the reasons, Matt, that you mentioned at the beginning, it's a passing-centric offense. You don't want to take the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. And when I always go back to the Bills were, and I hate to bring it up, but were 13 seconds away from no one caring about what the run game was like in that Kansas City Chiefs game. No one was worried about Devin Singletary after they dropped 47 points on the Patriots the week before. So I, I don't think running back is really that big of a need at all. And me being a draft guy, watching as many running backs as I do, and I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back, just like what I need to do. There's so many good running backs that are going to be available fourth, fifth, sixth round. If you spread it all over the lot and you have better blocking with Roger Saffold, Mitch Morse back, uh, you can get quality production later in the draft. Brees Hall, very good player. I think he is a he's feature back ready. I just don't put him evaluation wise in the same tier as Jonathan Taylor. I do like the idea of the Bills. If they like a running back a lot, if they have a high grade, whether where, wherever they end up taking them, and obviously I'm not for for you know for the first round, but if Brandon Bean decides to go that route, he's had a lot a, a bit of success. Knowing that Devin Singletary is going to be a free agent, unrestricted uh, next off season, if you don't really truly believe in Zach Moss and you maybe want to get somebody in the cupboard uh, for the next four years to have that cost controlled, I, I get it. And so yeah, that's I, a good point. Anyway, that's always a fun practice, and it's. To me, I, I found it to be pretty insightful, not even just for the Bills. For teams in general, look at their free agents the following year to give yourself an idea of the positions they might draft. And like you mentioned, Matt, the fact that Devin Singletary is coming up on his free agent season, you don't like to just have to plug that hole when you have no one on the roster after the guy leaves in free agency. You like to have that one kind of redshirt season where he could be a backup to Devin Singletary. So I'm not saying that that running back is completely – off the Bills draft radar, I would just wait later in the draft because I think in this offense, they can still get the production that they need from the running back spot later, fourth or fifth, maybe even in the sixth round. Thanks so much for your time tonight, buddy. Let everybody know where they can get your stuff. You got mock drafts dropping every week over at CBS (laughs) Sports. Let them know uh, everything they need to know about uh, your content. Yeah, just cbssports.com slash NFL slash draft. Hit me up on Twitter. And I'm hoping now that I've been on the Shop Podcast, am I going to get on the billboard on the one night? Maybe just a, maybe the next time you guys put up the billboard to say special guest occasionally, Chris Trapaswan. I'm just kidding. But thanks for having me, guys. Shep, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. We're just getting started. We have a lot more to cover here at Ryan Talbot. What would the Bills have to give up uh, to get up to number five, Ryan Talbot, or even in the top 15? I think if we're talking five, seven range, it's going to cost a future first. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you'd, you'd be giving up your, your first this year, your first next year, and then um, possibly some additional capital as well, which, you know, that, that does sound very rich. Um, but it, when you're picking at the end of round one and you want to get a premier player in this draft class, especially maybe the top cornerback or the second best cornerback, you have to pay that type of capital. It, it Would it be wise for the Bills to do that? Not necessarily. I would like to see them maybe group some of those day three picks together to move up either high into day three or try to sneak back into day two. I, I really feel like that two to four range is going to be the sweet spot in this draft. Uh, but the, the Bills aren't far away. They want to win the Super Bowl, obviously, this upcoming season, but in the next few years. So uh, going all in on an area that is a need, getting someone that could step in week one and start, uh, that would be big for this team. So that's probably what it would cost there. Obviously, the, the further you fall down in the draft, the less capital you have to give up when you get into that uh, those that range where the Eagles have three picks. You're, you're not giving up a future first, most likely. Maybe you know, maybe you're giving up a day two pick or so with along with what you're uh, what you have in the first round too. So it, it all varies. There is no set um, draft pattern. You know, they, they had mm-hmm. that Jimmy Johnson. Um, draft board where you could always put things together, simulate that. But some some trades, uh, one team gives up a lot more than normal. Other trades, you look and you say, "Wow, how did they move up that far and only have to give up x, you know, x amount?" So it always varies. I'm in like I've been pretty open about the fact that I, if I'm the Bills, I'm aggressive in this in this in this window here. Like if you have a player like we mentioned Sauce Sauce Gardner, if that fits into kind of what you want and you know first round draft picks for the Bills, they're not as valuable as they would have been t- even 2 years ago because of the roster that they built and now that we're seeing free agents wanting to come to Buffalo as a destination. And so I don't think it's something where if you're a Bills, if you're, if you're Brandon Bean sitting there, you have to be afraid to give up a first. You, you've got the kind of roster now that you can deal players potentially for first. If they, if they get to a point where Tremaine Edmonds is not in the future plans, um, I don't necessarily know that we're, we're closing in on that by any sense of, you know, the imagination. But if they do, you're probably going to get a nice return for Tremaine Edmonds. There's a team out there that's going to want to pay for his traits, probably has a vision for what he can be. Maybe they think he's been misused. Maybe he's not a middle linebacker. Maybe he's an outside linebacker. Maybe somebody thinks he could be an edge rusher. You know, if get, who knows? There's, there's tons of different ideas that teams have around the league and, you know, for a guy in Tremaine Edmonds who gets as much flack uh, from the portion of the fan base, teams around the league, players around the league, the respect this guy gets, it, it's super high. So, yeah, I, I kind of love the idea of trading up in this draft. All right. Can you please discuss the current cap and Bates potentially leaving? And I think this is a great question for Ryan Talbot because he uh, mm-hmm. broke a little story this afternoon. Uh, once you uh, get into it, first of all, the cap situation is – the Bills don't have much cap room. I mean, any type of move <laughs> that they're going to make at this point, including potentially matching an offer for Ryan Bates, is probably going to require another, you know, cap uh, space adjusting move. So, yeah. So, so first and foremost, I guess let's start with Ryan Bates. He made three visits. He visited first with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, then he went to the New England Patriots, and then finally his last visit was today with the Chicago Bears. He is done with his visits now. Uh, it sounds like all three teams kind of rolled out the red carpet. He had dinner with Bill Belichick one night in New England. 
Uh, the Bears have been strong uh, in, in pursuit. And Minnesota was the first team to to uh, pursue him. So th- there is a market there. And, and now it's all up to weighing his options. So when you're a restricted free agent, if you have multiple offers, um, he can kind of pick and choose. He can choose which one he, he's going to sign. And then it's up to the Bills to match. Now, uh, there was some confusion on social media. I said, hey, someone said, hey, if the Bills don't match, they're getting a second round pick. The Bills get absolutely nothing if they do not match Ryan Bates' mm-hmm. contract. They gave him the uh, low-level tender. So if if he does sign somewhere else and the Bills opt not to match that, he just walks away and the Bills are, are left with absolutely nothing. The low-level tender that they gave him comes off the books. That's about $2.5 million. Um, so in terms of cap space, that's there. So that's the other factor. Whatever that this deal is that he eventually signs, the Bills have already kind of put two and a half million dollars aside for Ryan Bates. It's going to be then closing the gap to whatever this new offer is if they want to match that deal. So, Domo, I hope that answered your question. All right. So Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins, Ryan Talbot. And I want to get a little bit more into we covered this at the start of the show. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to, to think about what this means for the Miami Dolphins. How much does this move the needle for you, for the Dolphins in the AFC East? Before this trade, I had the Miami Dolphins definitively in the number two spot in the AFC East, if I was giving you my power rankings. My bold prediction, actually, this week on the uh, the show over uh, Danger and Bataglia, I said, I think there's a world we can live in that the Patriots finish fourth in this division. If Zach Wilson takes a step, I like some of the moves they made on their offensive line. I think you get uh, Carl Lawson back. I think that there's some pieces there defensively. They have a lot of draft capital. I kind of can see a little bit of a jump for the New York Jets. So with that in mind, now they have now the Miami Dolphins have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Mike Gusecki, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, what is the ceiling for this offense? And is there enough on the defensive side of the ball for them to be like a legitimate playoff team here? Uh, 100% a legitimate playoff team. If you even just go back to last year's games, the Bills had some trouble putting away the Miami Dolphins. The offense struggled against that defense a little bit. It took it went late into the both contests before they were able to really put those games away. So I think Miami has the defense that you're looking for if you want to be a playoff caliber team. And now it's just all about Tua taking that next step. I think, I can't remember if it was you or Chris that said it, though. When you get to the playoffs, it's a whole other animal, though. And you need that quarterback that's going to step up. You need the Josh Allen, the Patrick Mahomes, um, the, the Joe Burrow. You know, the list goes on and on. And I'm not sure that Tua will ever be that guy. But like I said earlier in the show, maybe Miami was thinking long-term with this Tyreek Hill deal in terms of the next, well, maybe two to three years, maybe not long, long-term. This is their prove-it year for Tua. Either you're our guy or you're not. Um, you know, the, the train's moving, so to speak. We have two first-round picks next year, and if you're not our guy, we're going to either group those picks together, move up, and get someone who can be, uh, or we can continue to build around you with uh, other pieces, offensive linemen, or just keep improving that defense. So I, I really think that, it one, it was a good move for Miami. It puts them firmly into that wild card picture, in my opinion. I'm still not ready to say that they're ready to challenge Buffalo for the division. Maybe I'll be proven wrong on that, but I, I think they are kind of uh, getting very close to being, well, I think they're the clear favorite for number two in the East too, but um, clear favorite for one of those wild card spots. That's probably where I'm at right now, just because of the quarterback situation, Matt. 
twofold here. Number one, are they a better offense today than they were yesterday? Without a shadow of doubt. I mean, they have, you know, you, you talk about Mike McDaniel and, you know, Tyreek Hill essentially becomes his, his, ver- his new version, this new offense of Debo Samuel because of all the things that you could do with him. You can line him up in the backfield, you can line him up at every spot in the formation. And so he becomes just an absolutely dangerous, you know, uh, animal. But I do think that the downside or the limitations, if you will, of a Tua at quarterback, it's not going to truly be able to allow Tyreek Hill to have the type of effect on a game that I think that he had in Kansas City because of the off script ability of Patrick Mahomes. One of the things that I'll never forget, because um, it's been talked about so much over the years with the Buffalo Bills secondary, I've spent a lot of time talking to Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, about how tough it is to defend Patrick Mahomes. And he says, what makes it so tough, it's not the first route. It's the second part and the third part of the play when he's able to go off script buy time, allow his receivers to get open. And when you're talking about Tyreek Hill, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seconds, that four to eight second range is where he's the most dangerous. We've seen it a million times. Does he get yards up to the catch right at the line of scrimmage? Of course he does. Do they line up third and eight, get the ball to Tyreek Hills on a quick crosser and he gets nine yards for a first time? Of course he does. That's the kind of player he is. But you got to convert in the red zone. You have to have, you know, the combination, the one-two punch of Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey and the way that they worked off of each other, had Patrick Mahomes to kind of, you know, orchestrate the whole deal. I, I will make I will give people the the that the, the fact that Tyreek Hill was the straw that stirred the drink for this offense. I truly believe that. He was so dynamic. He did so many things. He allowed Patrick Mahomes to be who he where to, to play the game at his best. But Travis Kelsey was a key component in all of that. I like Mike Gusecki. I think Jalen Waddle is – it's like a supercharged version of McCole Hardman, and there's so many potential options. But at the end of the day, with all those weapons around him, in the backfield, on the outsides, with Teron Armstead now at left tackle, um, they went out and signed Connor Williams from the Dallas Cowboys at left guard. They're better on the offensive line. With all that being said, it's still Tua – and I still have major questions. And listen, that's okay. Like, I got a lot of Miami Dolphins fans coming to my mentions today, <laughs> like, like all upset. And when, when are people going to stop, you know, giving two of the business when he plays better? Just like when Josh Allen wasn't good as a rookie and was okay in his second year, we gave him the business about it. There was hope. There was reasons for hope. I'll tell you right now, you go back and watch the first 30 games of Josh Allen's career and and put it up against the first 30 of Tua's career and you put together the highlight reels, the one that on the left for Josh Allen is going to go quite a bit longer than the one on the right. And my biggest problem, Ryan, with Tua, in big moments, in big games, and, you know, listen, they haven't played in a ton of them. Most of them come against the Bills, like buying for playoff spots. He's shrunk. There's no second and third and fourth ways to adjust and win. Part of that is because he's a young player. Part of that is because I believe he's limited as a quarterback. Can all of that change? Sure. Can Tyreek Hill help that? Help that? Sure. But until we see it on a consistent basis, what this offense is going to look like, to your earlier point, they're still just second best in this in this division. And second best in this division, with the way that this AFC looks, depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson, which we could cover as well, that might not be good enough for a playoff spot, Ryan Talbot. 
Yeah, AFC is loaded. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, what's going on in NFC? You know, wake up, make some moves here. Uh, it's all been AFC, it seems like. It, it's been pretty quiet in the NFC this offseason. So you have all these teams battling it out in, in this conference. So it's going to be interesting. The AFC West is loaded. Um, you, you have a lot of teams a- across the board, though, in this conference that have gotten better. Uh, that were either in the playoffs or on the verge of being in the playoffs last year. So it, it is going to be a major fight here. Um, you, you know, last thing on Tua, you mentioned the highlight reels over the first 30 games. You, you'd pretty much get like a Disney Pixar movie out of the Josh Allen highlights, then you'd get those Pixar Disney shorts out of the Tua, the, those like three-minute highlight <laughs> clip. That's about it. That, I mean, that's the difference, though. You saw those flashes of greatness from Josh Allen. They were not, he wasn't putting it all together in those first two years, but you saw it and you said, man, if he can put it together, look out. And, and sure enough, he has put it together. And he that's why he is a legitimate MVP candidate year in, year out. The highlights from Tua have been so far and, and few in between that it's hard to imagine him taking this drastic step this year. But with the weapons around him, he better take a sizable step or else this could be the end of his, end of the road, at least in Miami, for him. Uh, I want to hit on Case Keenum. I want to hit on Jamison Crowder before we go. But one more piece of this Tyreek Hill situation, and it goes back five days to the Devontae Adams trade. Devontae Adams goes to the, the Raiders. They redo his deal. Five years, $140 million, $68 million guaranteed. Tyreek Hill goes to the Miami Dolphins. Four years, 120, 72.2 million guaranteed. Is Stefan Diggs kind of looking at all of this like, all right, uh, I came to Buffalo. Ever since I've been here, we've been among the best in the AFC. We've won playoff games. Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's been on the record talking about how much I've meant to that development. And I'm going to make. $13.5 million this year. And that's not even half of what Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams are going to make this year. So what gives Ryan Brandon Bean a couple of days ago said there doesn't seem to be a lot of urgency around getting a deal done with Stefan Diggs. There's still two years left on his contract, which I think just that point in and of itself, Brandon Bean's not in a rush. I, I think that's part of, you know, his philosophy is that, yeah, I sign deals. You honor those deals. When you when you play really well, you know, maybe a year left on the deal, you, you look for an extension when the time is right. He mentioned the time is right when the time is right. He also mentioned that Stefan Diggs is really into winning and being a part of a winning team, which I felt like alluded to the fact that part of being a part of a winning team is maybe sacrificing a little bit on the money side for a bit and said that if it doesn't get done, if the, if the time doesn't come together, he doesn't foresee it being an issue. Stefan Diggs has deleted all of his Instagram pictures, which usually tends to be like a new age way that athletes show that they're frustrated a little bit. He said on Instagram story today, he's like, he shared a picture of Devonte Adams and it was like, tee me up Tay. Almost like I got next. Let me get that next. Let me get that contract. Let's see what the, what the number looks like after I get mine. This is an all pro. If you put his numbers, I put up a story today at the website, put his numbers up against Devonte Adams and Tyreek Hill from last season. They're in the same tier. They're in the same ballpark. Ten touchdowns for Stephon Diggs. When does a deal get done or does it get done, Ryan? How do you see this playing out here? 
I, I said before that he would be one of those rare players I could see a deal getting done in season. Nothing, I don't anticipate anything getting done before the, the start of the year based on what Brandon Bean has said. Uh, there is some, you know, there's something to be said too about what Brandon Bean said about Diggs being a, a guy that wants to win. And I'm sure he could sit down with him and say, listen, look at this roster that we've built. We just brought in Von Miller. We've been on the cusp. This is, you know, we really want to get it together for these next few years. You've been doing your job for us. We will take care of you. And I am sure the Bills will. Um, so it, there's probably a level of frustration right now seeing the money that Devontae Adams is making, that Tyree Kill is making. But there should also be that uh, gif of, of the guy rubbing his hands together. That should be Stefan Diggs, too, thinking, man, I am next. I am going to be one of these guys that's next in line. And I'm not going to come cheap based on what these guys are getting. So it's kind of a, a give and take right now. There's some frustration, but down the road, he's he's going to get that money. He, he's going to be one of the highest paid wide receivers in this league based on what he's done in Buffalo. And he and he's earned it. So I, you can see it from both sides. As for the Instagram, I believe he's done that a few times. I think this is what a lot of athletes also do just in general, kind of like a cleanse, a start over each year. Uh, in in the off season, so I, you know I'm not reading too much into that. I've seen a lot of Bills fans ask me about that on Twitter and social media. Um, but that being said, in time, Stefan Diggs will get what's coming his way, and that's a big fat contract. Let me ask you a kind of a crazy off the wall question: Should the Bills extend Stefan Diggs? I I think that they should, but I think it's a valid question, and I think it's been kind of bantied about on social media today. Is it something where you kind of deal with the headache of it? If you're Brandon Bean, Stefan Diggs at 28 years old and you get through the next season or two and you look to move on and not maybe pay that high premium for a wide receiver and maybe, you know, stock the coverage in the draft over the next couple seasons to try to, you know, find cost controlled options looking ahead in the next couple of years. I think Stefan Diggs is critical to this offense in the immediate time right now for the bills but looking ahead i think you can make an argument that it probably doesn't make a lot of sense paying the quarterback as much as you're paying him i think it's a lot like why the the, the chiefs decided to move on from tyree kill is that paying 30 million dollars a year to a wide receiver as good as a wide receiver is it's just it's not the best team building approach i i think the bills could find themselves in that kind of gray area and also would you think that Stefan Diggs might think about it? Cause I think this might be fair. I think Stefan Diggs with his relationship with Josh, who he didn't try to, you know, kill the market with his extension. I think he probably could have got more if he really wanted to. Does Stefan Diggs come back and be like, all right, I don't need to make 28, 30, but get me to like 22, get me over 20, get my guarantee up. Maybe, maybe it's a three year, $70 million deal that's completely guaranteed. Something like that. I don't know. What, what are you thinking here with the ways that Brandon Bean, Stefan Diggs can go about this? Yeah, you you want to keep it short term based on the age, if possible. And I think you you hit the nail on the head. You, you give them more guaranteed because you look at all these contracts. You can look at Devontae Adams. You can look at Tyree Kill. You can look at Von Miller, who the Bills signed last week. There's always the sticker shock at first, but then when you really break it down, they usually turn into these three year deals worth X amount of dollars. If, if the Bills want to have him here for the you know those last few prime years, what what are generally considered the last few prime years for a receiver, build it that way. Uh, that's the way around it, in my opinion. You could add, add the the years on at the end, tack the extra years on that really won't come into play, I suppose. 
Uh, but there's a way to do it. And, you know, the NFL is funny, and I agree with you. When you pay a quarterback big bucks, you have to sacrifice in other places. But in the last decade or two, it's been the wide or it's been the running back position that's kind of been phased out in terms of you don't pay these guys big money. And, and now you're starting to say, well, if you're giving the quarterback 40 some million, how can you afford to pay wide receivers this much money? And I get that and I understand it. Uh, but, you know, one of the big reasons why Gabriel Davis scored four touchdowns against the Chiefs last year, it's because of the way they were playing Stefan Diggs. It was the way that they were doubling him. They were giving him that attention. It was the way that they were looking, you know, uh, monitoring what uh, Dawson Knox could do based on how he really hurt them in the regular season game. You need that player, even if he's going to be double covered, so he opens up things on the field for your wide receiver two or your wide receiver three. So he, it's Malt, there's so many layers to it, uh, but I feel like the Bills do have to at least pay him in the short term to keep him around for those prime years. Nate Castle with the great question. I want to make sure I got a, uh, his super chat in here that uh, driving the conversation on the uh, Stefan Diggs potential extension. Listen, this is a topic that's not going away. We're going to talk about this over the course of the offseason, into the summer, into next season. And, you know, with Cole Beasley out of the mix now, I think Jameson Crowder is a very interesting addition Ryan what it doesn't do it doesn't like check that box that Bills fans I think were excited about with JD McKissick I mean that yards after the catch was eye-popping for McKissick I mean he would have led the Bills last year the entire Bills you know receiving core running back room he had like 390 yards after the catch last year that would have ranked number one on the Bills. so you don't get him you bring in Duke Johnson which I think you know it's a it's a fine consolation prize and I I still think I think Duke Johnson could have a role on this team. I don't think he's the same um, ceiling type of player that J.D. McKissick is. But Crowder comes in now as the replacement of Cole Beasley. The yards after the catch are, are really bad over the last couple of years. That's not what he's bringing. He's bringing that strictly a, a separation ability, get open, make a play, not a lot after the catch. So in a lot of ways, I almost feel like I think we could arrive on a platoon situation when they first signed Crowder I thought okay this is slot receiver number one and I spent a couple days thinking about it I knew we had the show on Wednesday and the more I've gotten to think about it pairing together Crowder's addition with the fact that the contract that he signed which his salary cap hit this year is like two million dollars Ryan so they went from a salary cap hit of 7.1 for Cole had they kept him to two million for Jamison Crowder with similar stats I mean if you go back and look at the career arcs of these two guys. It's, it's crazy similar. He's coming to the bills after seven years, really good production early with Washington. Good first year with the jets, but it's tapered off in the last couple, some frustration there. Probably it's led him to the bills a lot like how Cole Beasley probably landed with the bills, much different contract, obviously, but I think there could be a platoon there with, with Jameson Crowder, Isaiah McKenzie in the right matchup. I don't think this definitely, definitely eliminates McKenzie from slot reps. No, absolutely not. And it, it could come down to the matchups too. Are they going against a, a team that plays a lot of zone or plays a lot of man? Uh, we know how lethal McKenzie can be going across the field against those man defenses. He can still be very effective too against zone, but uh, we know that Crowder, his game is kind of very similar to Cole Beasley. So he, he is going to be the guy that gets the separation that knows where to sit in the zone. You mentioned it very productive early in his career in Washington. First two years with New York, I thought were, were very, uh, solid years considering the quarterback play there. This past season uh, tapered off a little bit. He, he's ha- suffered lower body injuries. I th- want to say I wrote three of the last four years 
Um, so that's something to watch, you know, the, the calf strains, the, the hamstrings, stuff like that. So it's something to monitor there, but he has been very effective as a slot receiver. And I think he is someone that can come in and put up pretty big numbers in terms of those receptions, um, be someone that can be a trusted weapon for Josh Allen in, in this offense, as long as he can stay healthy. So it, it's, it was a good signing. You got him at a low rate. You knew his time with the Jets was over because obviously they, they have Elijah Moore. They brought back uh, Braxton Berrios. So um, the, the writing was on the wall there. But to get him at the value that they did, I, I think that the, it's kind of a, a slam dunk addition for the Bills. Had a question here saying that they'd rather have um, Jamison Crowder's yards after the catch than Beasley's. Funny enough, Jamison Crowder had. 176 yards after the catch last last season. Uh, he had 447 total yards receiving. So that's about, what, 30-ish percent of his total yardage. Cole Beasley had 305 yards after the catch last season. That was of 693 total yards, so probably about 40%. So statistically speaking, Cole Beasley was better after the catch than Jamison Crowder last season. Now, could Jamison Crowder come in here as part of this 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 offense? find some uh, mojo, find some creases and and be a little bit better after the catch? Definitely. But we'll see. We'll see if that uh, materializes. This is another one of those moves, Ryan, for Brandon being in the Bills, that it's it's a luxury of of where they're at combined with the the really like shrewd nature of roster building that Brandon Bean has had throughout the years. People point to finding Josh Allen, trading for Stefan Diggs, signing Von Miller as these reasons the Bills, you know, are is are a Super Bowl contender. But I think just as important of that as that, I mean the way they built the offensive line with these no-name guys. I I go back to 2019 when they when they signed Feliciano and brought him out to the the podium and I'm like I this guy wasn't even on my radar. I didn't have him. I didn't even notice him in any of those pre-free agency rankings list. It was 100% a surprise. And how many of the, those have there been over the years? I mean, guys that weren't on your, you know, for every Daryl Williams and Roger Saffold that made sense from the the second those guys became available. There's been guys like John Feliciano uh, and and and, uh, and other uh, free agent signings that you know maybe weren't the apple of bill's mafia's eyes but guys that have come in here and as a collective group all these guys that brandon bean has found have really provided the core of this bill's roster yeah absolutely i mean sean mcdermott uh too in the first year you know there's been cornerbacks that have competed against levi wallace uh there's been the ej Gaines of the world there's been the josh normans Guys that, you know, have some name value, but have been kind of cast off a little bit, too. There's been linemen like Feliciano that you mentioned. Um, there's been D linemen, too. So they've, there's been a really good mix of these these players that have been brought in, uh, no, no matter what their role is, special teams, too. So they, they find a nice mix of those types of players. And kudos to Brandon Bean for that, because that's how you build a Super Bowl contender. You can't have an all-star roster when you, when you have that this many roster spots at every position. So you have to find those guys that can come in and not just contribute, but maybe in a pinch start or maybe can, someone that's going to fly under the radar and start uh, compete for a starting job. They've done a good job finding those combinations of players. Good question here, Ryan. When are we going to have our mocks out? I might have to drop mm-hmm. a mock next week. I might drop like a, a, a one-round mock next week. 
um, you know, with some some different scenarios. I, one thing that I've been thinking about doing with my first mock, if it's just a first, like a one round one, giving like giving you the full round, right, and actually like go pick by pick. But instead of writing a blurb pick by pick, I'm just going to write at the spot I think is a trade target for the Bills. Like, and, and what I would trade up for there, what I would give up. I think I want to do something like that. And, and maybe I'll drop that early next week. Yeah, I'll definitely have another, uh, you know, seven round. I'll probably do a, a full mock draft. I, I did a shorter one uh, with my first mock draft for the off season, but the, the bills have kept us so busy with free agency. The draft has not necessarily been on my mind. And I know it is kind of, it's sneaking up on us here as we're in, uh, late March, and I love the idea in the chat there of the the live mock. We we've done that in the past where we put up the uh, the apps draft network and whatnot, and we've mm-hmm. gone through who's available. I and mean, we can definitely do that again. I, I have always enjoyed that, but yeah, we, we will start shifting gears here now that we're in that second wave of free agency into more draft talk. So keep your eyes peeled on uh, nyup.com and syracuse.com. Let's talk about Case Keenum because this is a move that happened in the aftermath of the Von Miller absolute uh, whirlwind for Bills fans. Uh, O.J. Howard, somebody I think we probably even have to talk a little bit more about at some point. But Case Keenum, the Bills in the whole Cleveland debacle with Deshaun Watson and what's coming with Baker Mayfield, they decide to offload Case Keenum and sign Jacoby Brissett to be the backup for Deshaun Watson. Uh, the Bills trade a seventh round or sixth round pick for, I think it was seventh round pick for Case Keenum. The Browns restructured his contract. So his cap hit that, which is supposed to be around six million, seven million, that's coming down. So they're probably going to be on the hook. I didn't have an official note. Did you have an official number on what that that's going to be, Ryan? I want to say three and a half, if I remember correctly. Three and a half million. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say three. So somewhere around three and between three and four million. So now the Bills have an elite. Backup. This is something we talked about the other day, right? Something that I didn't even yeah. think was actually necessarily on the radar. But if you can get a Case Keenum, one of those guys that has started games in the league in that kind of tier of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, a Mitch Trubisky, which was like a, a you know a really like elite example of this. But Case Keenum relationship with Stephon Diggs, they had a ton of success together in Minnesota. This made tons of sense, and everybody was like, "Well, wait a second. I thought they they signed Matt Barkley to be the backup, Matt." Matt Barkley spent most of last season um, bouncing from practice squad to practice squad. He is coming in in a depth role to be a guy in the quarterback room. He has a great relationship with Josh Allen, uh, an emergency type situation. But I see him assuming more of maybe that Davis Webb role than the backup role. And this this whole new quarterback room to go from how good it was with Trubisky and Davis Webb to now what they have in potentially Barkley and Case Keenum. Brandon Bean does it again. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Cleveland at one point uh, told uh, Mort that they wanted an adult for their quarterback, and they shipped the only one that they had on their roster to Buffalo in case <laughs> Keenum. So Keenum is that guy that if, if you need him in a pinch, if you need him for a two- to three-game stretch, he can keep you afloat, he can win you games, and that's what you want in today's NFL. There's no backup in this league that uh, is going to be able to go toe-to-toe most weeks with guys like Mahomes and and Herbert and the best of the best, but you want someone that, you know, there's, there might be that those few weeks where Josh is out that can win a few games. He went two and zero last season in Cleveland. Uh, he, ha- he has a history of starting games. He has that rapport with Stefan Diggs. 
Uh, I like this signing. I like it, or the trade, I should say. I like it a lot. I like that they immediately restructured the deal, brought his cap pit down, made it more manageable. Um, But definitely a a smart move by this team and this regime based on Josh's playing style, based on the fact that there's a 17-game season. You just never know. You want someone that can come in 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 the short term. Matt Barkley, great for the locker room, great for the quarterback room. Uh, definitely a favorite of, of the teammates just across the board. There were so many players on the defensive side of the ball, excited to see him back offensive side of the ball. Uh, so it, it was good in that regard. He's going to be good at breaking down the film and you nailed, it. he's going to be that Davis Webb type. He might be on the roster as their third quarterback or more realistically, uh, he might be that the practice squad quarterback, that, that third guy that they have that could get poached by a team when injuries occur, but, Someone that they they feel good enough about to keep is that veteran on their practice squad long-term. So a great question from our good buddy, Scott Maranto. More receptions in 2022. O.J. Howard, Isaiah McKenzie, or Jamison Crowder? I'm going to go O.J. Howard. Uh, Just because I think, yeah, I know, a little bit of a surprise there. Uh, I I think that one... How many many catches? How many catches? (laughs) Because if I'm going to break down McKenzie two and Crowder, because Crowder has been a reception machine, maybe I immediately regret this decision. Uh, I'll say I'll say about 55, 55 receptions, which I, I think so, is a so OJ Howard is doubling his career high in reception, doubling it because he's going to be a big, right, slot, headline, big slot receiver. Headline, I'm going, I'm go. going bold, Matt, I, because I, like I feel it. like they were looking for a big slot receiver. Uh, as well, when there was all that talk about Evan Ingram, there, there's going to be these different personnel packages, in my opinion, under Ken Dorsey. And that's where I really think he could thrive. You're going to have, you know, Knox lined up as a traditional tight end. You're going to have Stefan Diggs. You're going to have Gabriel Davis. And then you're going to have a big slot receiver in OJ Howard. And he has that athleticism to really break away from uh, linebackers or, or uh, you know, he's bigger and more physical than the defensive back. So I, you know, I, I guess that 55 is maybe crazy based on his career highs. But I, I think of those three, you could see McKenzie, uh, you, you could see Jamison Crowder splitting reps. So that's kind of where it came down to. And I still think McKenzie's going to play a big role as a gadget guy. So I'm going to go Crowder 55, McKenzie 30, and Howard 25. But I think Howard's 25 are going to be important. I don't want to get too far down the road before we kind of get our eyes on what this offense is going to look like. And this is me personally. You can get as far down the road as you want. And I love bold take Ryan Talbot. I'm here for it. I'm. I, you, they tend to, if you go back and, and count these over the years, add them all up. Those bold predictions tend to be pretty successful for Mr. Talbot. So maybe he's on to something. But I think that I don't think that they're going to allow OJ Howard's role to take away from what Dawson Knox is in this offense. And I think for me, if I'm looking at this offense, as you know how high I am on a wide receiver to Gabriel Davis, right? Like mm. I'm as high as they come on what I think he's going to be this year. Dawson Knox had 49 catches last year. I think he's on his way up. He played in 15 games. He started 14, had the injury, had the COVID. I'm predicting 70 catches for Dawson Knox this year. And if there's 70 catches for Dawson Knox, for me, that just leaves scraps for OJ Howard. And I think those are important scraps. I think there's potential 
certain games for him to kind of have his moments. But I think in the end, they still feature Dawson Knox in a contract year. He's earned it in this, and in, in maybe 70 is a little bit too bold, but you know, that's this is the segment. We're, we're going with the bold prediction. We're going bold. We're going bold. And the, you know, the one thing I want to say about Howard, I thought the first two years, 11 touchdown receptions in his first two seasons, I thought that they almost kind of, I don't want to say stunted his development, but when you look at the, the offense, especially the last few years under Tom Brady, they weren't going to Howard. He was he was very far down the pecking uh, order. You you obviously had Gronk at tight end ahead of him. You had Chris Godwin. You had Mike Evans. And listen, rightfully so, uh, Gronk is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. I think Mike Evans is is definitely trending in that direction. Godwin's been great early in his career. He was kind of been the forgotten man in that offense. And I just think the Bills envision him playing a certain role not just at tight end, but also lining up in the slot at times. You know, we, we both went a little bit crazy maybe with the numbers when you think about the amount of targets that Stefan Diggs is going to get, that Gabriel Davis, that Dawson Knox, that even a guy like Duke Johnson uh, is going to get out of the backfield because when, when he started early in his career in Cleveland and in Houston, he, he was a big focal point in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. So there's, there's only so many balls to go around in terms of receptions. Uh, so maybe both of our numbers will end up being a little high there. I, I do think, though, that Howard, if he can stay healthy, could could really have a breakout year here in Buffalo. Well, it, it, we have a, a ton of stuff to talk about over the next couple of months. The, the depth chart is starting to form. Uh, the draft is about a month away. Uh, we are going to be giving you the full court press over the next couple of weeks. And, and maybe we do two episodes next week, Ryan. Maybe we do the one show. Uh, on Wednesday night, and maybe we make a special, whether it's a Monday night or uh, one of the other nights for the for the live mock draft. I think that, that that'll be a fun idea. Uh, we'll do maybe our we'll do our first round mock together. We'll go pick by pick, dueling first round mock drafts. There it is. The idea is born. <laughs> Love it. Looking Monday. forward to both of those shows. All right, for Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the rest of your week. Oh, and if you missed it, go uh, on the audio platforms. Uh, I did a Twitter Spaces with Eric Wood. Uh, I downloaded it, uh, put it up on all the audio platforms. You can download that. Some great stuff from Eric Wood on, you know, just the Bills culture in in wooing uh, Von Miller to Buffalo. Uh, also, some really good stuff on the offensive line. Cody Ford, in particular, you're going to enjoy it. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See you guys soon. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.